I don't know about you. Sounds like we've had some that have been sick. Some still are um, and aren't with us this morning. I know I felt like I was dragging a bit this morning. And then, you know, you get here and some of us aren't here. And that's always kind of, I don't know if you feel that way. I mean, I know we miss people when they're not here, but, but um, we're small enough that when someone's not here, we notice it. And um, I mean, it almost wants to kind of drag down, you know, on my spirit a little bit because they're not here with us, you know, you know, for different reasons. Yeah, but we miss them for sure. Um, and so I've been fighting that, you know, all morning, um, not just since I've been here, but even before I got here. And so, you know, while I was feeling that way, as Brother JT was preaching, you know, I was praying. I was like, Lord, lift us up. Um, Lord, help, help Brother JT to preach, you know, help me to hear. Um, so, you know, anytime we feel that way, I, I hope, or you feel that way, I hope that's, that's something that you attempt to do. Um, you know, I, you, 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 I know you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we sit here and we listen to a sermon, and where Teresa turned to me at one point this morning already, and she said, I'm tired, you know. Um, and we, we were, you know, you work all week and you're tired. Um, and so, um, you know, whenever we feel that way, to go to the Lord and ask him to um, help us. Yeah. Right, right, right. But, you know, help us, help us to enter into that rest and not go to sleep and rest, you know, <laughs> during the sermon, yeah. <laughs> the one trying to talk us, I, oh, boy. Uh, we, we don't ever want to do that. I, sometimes, you, know, you you stand up here and you have a different vantage point. You see people's expressions whether they mean to make them or not um i've i've caught people looking a certain way while i'm preaching and then they they stop all of a sudden you know um but there's other times too that you can see people and you're like they're not quite getting that um let me let me drag that past you again uh maybe maybe you'll get it the second time um but you see people are tired and you know i don't i don't look out there and judge them and say well i can't believe that person's falling asleep you know you know i remember what that was like. I, I can remember my head, Cohen, being on the back of that pew and my mouth open. And when I started to snore, that's when my mom, you know, you know, <laughs> um, I don't think I snored as loud back then as I do now. Uh, I, fell asleep, I fell asleep on the couch in the living room downstairs last night. And the kids were upstairs and they could hear me snoring, you know. Um, they, were, they were playing a game or listening to something. I was watching something and they could hear me snoring over that. So... Um, Anyway, Lord, help us this morning as we come to um, this psalm, because the beginning of it, we certainly feel this way at times. If you've already read ahead and you've, and you've looked at this psalm during the week, the very first verse, David says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? But he's here. I mean, wherever two or three are gathered together, they're... I, I, I'm, I know I, I can give so many thoughts while we're reading through this that you get tired of standing, I know. But 
I, I had a chance to talk to a young man this week. He was, he was, he was putting up gutters on, on one of our jobs, and I had a chance to talk to him. And he said the thing that people have so often you know, said before that you've heard, um, well, do we really have to go to church to be able to worship God? Can I worship God, you know, at, at home? And I said, well, a couple of things. You know, one, you know, is the thing that Brother Jerry just, just, you know, was speaking about, you know, wherever two or three are gathered together, the Lord's in our midst. You know, so you're missing that if you're not gathered together. I said, the other thing is the Lord has expressly called us to gather together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Um, and, it, and it seemed, he, he, I don't think that anyone had ever actually brought those things before him and said those things to him about, you know, that sort of thing. And I think part of it for him was, you know, maybe he had, he had gone to church as a, as a, a younger person and, he, and maybe even in his younger married life and he'd kind of gotten away. And it's easy to start to try to justify, you know, uh, not going. And so he was, he was very encouraged and uh, we, we talked about a lot of things. I won't go through, you know, all of our conversation, but, but um, he was so encouraged. I mean, you just really felt like the Lord was speaking to him. He was like, I, I want to go home and tell my family about these things right now. You know, he had two hours worth of work to do and probably another hour drive home. Um, I hope he was still, and if the Lord had spoke to him, then he would be, but I hope he was still as excited, you know, when he got home as he was while, you know, we were speaking. But why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? You know, does the Lord do that? Does the Lord hide himself in times of trouble? And what, what are you going to say about that? You know, he's very present, right? Very near in times of trouble. But here again, this was something that Cohen said to me last week. I gave he and Andrew and Daniel a book last week. It was a book by J.C. Ryle, Thoughts for Young Men. Um, and um, Cohen had said something to me after the message about one thing that I had said um, in, in my sermon, and that was about you know, not, not leaning upon your feelings, trusting in your feelings, but trusting in what God's Word says. Because here's David's feelings, so we're back in that thought uh, you know, here this morning. Here's David's feelings. Why standest thou afar off? Oh, Lord, why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? We can feel that way, but that's not reality. That's not what God's Word says. Um, and then David goes into what, what sort of trouble is he, is he encountering here? He says, the wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. And as we saw with Ahithophel earlier on, when, whenever Absalom was pursuing David, and, and David said, turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness. You know, here he was trying to catch David in a trap, you know, turn it on his own head. Um, and in the end, we know Ahithophel went out and, and killed himself, you know. Um, Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Verse 3 says, for the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. And blessed the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Uh, and they do, don't they? I mean, we get to, I mean, I, I worked in an office for 20 years, and I'd get to the office, and they'd be boasting about the things, you know, that they did. And, and I would think to myself, 
you know, Lord, help me to be able to boast in you like they boast in evil, you know. Uh, they may not want to hear it, but if, if they're going to tell me about the things, they may tell you about the things that I know, you know. Um, verse 4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. So there's the wicked. They don't think about God. Um, they're not seeking after God. They're not pursuing after God. God's not in all their thoughts. Is God in your thoughts? Are you seeking after him? Now, there's some hope, isn't there? That there's some light there, uh, if that's the case. His ways, that is the wicked, uh, are always grievous. God's judgments, he says, thy judgments, God's judgments are far above, out of his sight. Um, as for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. Um, verse number six says, he hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit. You know, the, I think the poison of asps being under their, their lips and their tongues, you know, this, this little thing, um, you know, that it, it boy, uh, what, what harm this little thing behind our teeth can do, right? Uh, set the world on fire, right? Um, I saw lots of fights in school because of that thing. <laughs> It sets, it sets some people on edge, yeah. Um, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. So he's just, and he goes on, and he's talking about this, isn't he? He talks about a lion, but he's just, he's crouched. And waiting to spring, you know, upon uh, lunge, you know, towards the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He, he lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. Now, that's the only sense in which he humbleth himself. You know, we've been talking about his pride you know, this, this humbling here is not humbling himself before the Lord. This humbling here is crouching down so that he might, you know, lunge forward. So he hath said in his heart, verse number 11, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. You know, there's a sense in which David starts out saying, Lord, where are you? You know, and then the wicked here saying, the Lord's not paying any attention. You know, they're really, they're, both of them are kind of saying the same thing, but on the one hand, for the righteous, the Lord is paying, well, the Lord's paying attention on both counts, but the Lord's very near with David. Here, the wicked's wanting the Lord to be far away, be far removed. He's wanting the wicked not, the wicked's not wanting the Lord to pay any notice or attention or see what he's doing, observe what he's doing, judge what he's doing. He's wanting the, the Lord to be far away, but the Lord's still near. He's seeing everything that's being done. But he said in his heart, God hath forgotten, he hideth his face, he'll never see it. Verse 12, David returns back to uh, where he started in verse number 1, and he says, Arise, O Lord. You know, he was saying, Where are you? Now he's saying, Arise, O Lord. Why are you standing afar off? Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it. You know, the wicked saying, that he hasn't seen it, but David says, God has seen it. 
for thou beholdest mischief and spite. To requite it with thy hand, the poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. Just make clean sweep. There's nothing left. Then verse number 16. You like this one? The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. You know, that one descriptive that I've oftentimes told you is one of my favorites of heaven. It's a place where righteousness dwells, right? What does it say here? The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine, eye, thine, ear, thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress us. So there's Psalm number 10. Let's ask the Lord to speak unto us as we uh, look into his word. Brother Donnie, would you pray for us? Yes. Amen. Be seated. Well, one pastor told me once when I was going through something very difficult, 
He said, one of the hardest things that you'll ever have to do is wait. And um, it looks like that's kind of where David is here in the beginning of our psalm. Um, And to those who are suffering, waiting is definitely um, difficult. The wicked's pressing his advantage. Uh, It seems so much so that David kind of felt cut off. Um, You know, and and during such a time, we can become short-sighted, can't we? We can let our emotions overwhelm us to where we would say such a thing that David, you know, says here, imagine that God is somehow far away. Imagine that God has somehow removed himself from the situation and our circumstances, but we're not called to walk by sight. We're called to walk by faith. And being able to believe that God has a purpose in what he's allowing, that God has a purpose in what he's permitting us to suffer and go through. Um, you know, there's... You think about when when the church has been persecuted in times past, um, severe persecution where where those are being imprisoned and 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 they're being put to death. The false kind of fell by the wayside, didn't it? Uh, those who were pretending, um, you know, when when persecution or trouble arise, you know, like in the parable of the sower, they fell away. So. We, we, could, we could say lots of things about lots of circumstances, lots of situations about how that we, we, we believe from what we see in God's Word that the reason could be, you know, for the circumstances to be what they are. But the reality is that even when we feel the way that the psalmist feels here, that God is right in the midst of his church, that God is right in the midst of the situation that we find ourselves in, and that he's going to cause all these things that are happening to work together for our good. We've, we've got to come to a place where we trust his word in those times. Uh, we look unto him. I mean, we've already dealt with in messages past, like in David's situation with Bathsheba and Absalom, that there can be reasons because of sin on our part that things are happening. But even then, you know, God is at work to purge uh, Lord, I don't ever want to do that again. Uh, Lord, keep me, keep my feet from falling into to that snare. Um, but here's what we know. Here, we can say that from one place, we can say, and we see this throughout Scripture in different places, but Psalm 18 verse 30 says this in regards to you know, our circumstances, situations, the, the timing that we're, that we're in our lives when it happens, the amount of time that we find ourselves left in those circumstances. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, His way is what? Perfect. Who's in control of all these things? Who's sovereign over all these things? He is. His way, Perfect. Why is this happening? You know, Lord, wh- wh- where are you? Why do you stand so far off? Uh, why are you hiding yourself in, in this time of trouble that I'm going? As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. I mean, look back. Think about saints 
in the past, maybe in, in our lifetime that we've known people that we've known and, and conditions that they found themselves in and, and how the Lord delivered them. But beyond that, think I mean, in the Scripture and, and think about what we see as far as what's being said here. The word of the Lord is tried. You know, are there not saints? Are we not surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses? Are there not those that we can look at and say, Lord, you, you delivered them from that danger. You delivered them from that trouble. Lord, there were those that were against them, and they were, they were many. And your people were few. And yet you delivered them. Have you ever, have you ever spoken to yourself in that way? When you find yourself in, in circumstances, Lord, you delivered them. Lord, you're faithful. You delivered them. Would, would you not also deliver me? Lord, you're, you're able. You did that for them. Would you do that for me? He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. He's a shield, in other words. He's a shield. And we see that shield in Scripture as not being one that's just in the front. You know, it's not a small round shield. It's not a larger round shield. It's not, I don't know, what were those shields called, Brother Bruce, that the the Roman um, centurions had? I mean, they stood just about head high. They were were tall and and rectangular. I don't remember. They had a name. I don't remember what the name was. It's not just, they were even curved a little bit. Not just one of those. But he's before us, and he's behind us. And he's on both sides of us, and he's over us and underneath us. You know, there's, there's not a place that the enemy can get to us except the Lord permit it. And that was Satan's complaint in Job's case. You've got a hedge about him. I can't get to him. You know, and so we understand that he is a shield unto all those who trust in him. You know, do you trust in him? You know, everything may appear to be dim, dark, grim, hopeless, but if we walk by appearances, I mean, we would shrink at everything. Um, If we walked in our own strength, we'd have reason to. But if we look to the Lord, you know, what what is this to Him? What what is this before Him? Um, I I can't, as many times as I've read it and listened to it, um, I'm trying to remember the exact place it was, but... But, um, you know, Christian comes to a place, you know, where there's a man with a pen and a book writing down the names of those who will go forth in, in battle. And this man walks up and he's watching, you know, this happens. This man walks up and he says, write my name down. And he goes out and he fights. And in the end, when he, when he sees it all from the other side, all those giants that he faced, he said they were just paper giants. Right? I mean, these foes that we encounter, they're foes that God has, has, has put before us in our path, you know, to encounter. What for? Why, why is David feeling, you know, like this? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Well, one thing we could say is so that our faith might be strengthened. Our faith needs to be strengthened. Um, so that we can see God is faithful. So that, that we don't just hear about how that somebody else has tried him and proven him faithful, but so that we ourselves can see his faithfulness 
in our situation, in our circumstances, where God came and rescued us, where God came and delivered us, where God came and helped us, uh, ourselves, that, that we can testify. I was in trouble, and the Lord delivered me, uh, that we know that to be true. I mean, think of Joseph. And think about how, how grim things must have been. His own flesh and blood threw him in a hole. And then, when they came back to get him out, sold him to slavers. And then he ends up in Potiphar's house, and things seem to be going okay for a while, and he rises up to a place of some prominence, and again, something happens, and he's thrown into prison, and he's there for a while, and he raises again to a... And you can kind of see a pattern here, in a hole raised out. Potiphar's house raised up, back down into a dungeon, you know, raised up. I mean, there's coming a time when he's going to be, the only person he's going to be second to is Pharaoh himself. But, you know, there he was in prison, and, and you know, don't forget me when you, when you interpret this, you know, dream, this dream's interpreted, and he is forgotten for a time. But then he's out, you know, and, and in the end he tells his, his brothers, you know, that you know, the Lord did this to, to rescue you from famine, uh, from certain death. Uh, the Lord allowed these things um, so, what else can we do but cling to the Word of God in times of despair when we find ourselves where David is in verse number one? Um, this is the reality. God's perfect in all that He does. This is the reality. God's near. The Word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler, our shield, to all those that trust in Him. And again, we go to places like Hebrews chapter 11 and we can find what we say we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith, right? And so what do you see in Hebrews 11? By faith, by faith, by faith. Over and over again, you see by faith these that overcame. Things looked bleak for them too. Things looked grim for them too. But by faith they overcame. We only see part of the picture, right? We can't see everything. We don't know everything. Um, I mean, again, I, I know that I use him as an example a lot, but think about Job. He had no idea what was happening, you know, that all these things came about. Um, and his friends certainly thought they had, you know, the answer. Your sin's the reason these things have come upon you. But they didn't know. They were wrong, you know, in, in, in their interpretation of, of the situation. But... In Job's case, again, you know, by faith he overcame. The Lord gives. I know where all that I have has come from. It has come from the Lord's hand. And if he chooses to give it or he chooses to take it away, it's him taking it away. So if I have this today and I don't have it tomorrow, you know, the Lord's in control here still. Um, and even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, he got to that even with his life. Um, he felt the same way. So by faith, he overcame. Um, and we will overcome by nothing short of the same in any situation we find ourselves in. We're not going to overcome by anything short of faith. Um, we're not going to overcome in our, in, in our, on our own. Um, but we don't always have all the information. God sees and knows way more than we do. Um, and nothing's beyond him. There's not any information that he doesn't have in any given situation. He knows. We can trust him. His way's perfect. 
His way is absolutely perfect. So this is how the psalmist felt, though. And we have found ourselves feeling similar, but we can't trust our feelings. We can't trust those things. They're unreliable. God is reliable. I mean, Isaiah kind of felt the same way in a sense. I mean, you see in Isaiah 59, verse number 1, I mean, all this wickedness is going all around him. And, and here's the conclusion that he came to in the first verse of that chapter. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. I mean, these things that are happening haven't shortened God's arm where he can't reach into that situation. Um, there's nothing that's happened that's caused the Lord's ear to be too dull to hear the cries of his people. Uh, he hears, he knows, he sees, he's able. There's nothing beyond him. With, with, with God, nothing shall be what? Impossible, right? So his hand is not shortened that it can't save. His ear's not heavy that it can't hear. Uh, the, the evil that Isaiah was seeing in his day, listen to what he says in verse number 15 of the same chapter. He says, truth faileth. He says, he that departeth from evil, that would be you and I, right? I mean, that's what we desire to do, depart from evil. He says, he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. Can you see that in the day in which we live? If you depart from the evil that's going on all around us, you're going to make yourself a prey. You're going to make yourself a target. Do I have to worry about that? No. Who's in control? Not them. It doesn't matter that I have a target, you know, painted on me. Uh, They can't, the evil can't touch you except God were to permit it. And if he permits it, it's for your good. So what do you have to worry? What do you have to worry about? But he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. It says the Lord saw it and it displeased him. Here you are seeking to be righteous. Here you are seeking to be upright. Here you are seeking to walk before the Lord in such a way that you'd bring glory unto him in everything that you do. And the wicked see that as an opportunity to make you a prey. And it says the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. Where'd where'd Paul get that imagery? Partly all the Roman soldiers around him, surely. But here, he, he knew this passage. Breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, you know, on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance. We don't have those. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. We know who we're talking about here. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. That becomes important when we get in further into the chapter, isn't it? Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands, he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west. And we see things in Scripture where the Lord raises up some ruler, you know, to power and brings him down and humbles him and shows forth his might, right? And shows forth his glory. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. Sometimes it feels that way. must have felt somewhat that way for David in the beginning of the psalm. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. 
coming to us. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Let me tell you something that I noticed as I spoke to that young man this week. He grew up in a, in a place where he learned some things about the Word of God. And whenever I would say something about something, it made an impact upon him because there was that information that he possessed already. Can you imagine what an illumination it was for Saul of Tarsus whenever he understood all, I mean, raised from a youth, you know, in all these things, and he's converted? What all those things then meant, you know, unto him? What realities were there that he had not been able to see before? I mean, there were light bulbs that were going off in our conversation. He had some, of a, what of a foundation, uh, somewhat of a, a knowledge of Scripture. Teach them, train them up in the way they should go. Right? And so the Lord sends somebody their way whenever, you know, they're not where they're supposed to be and they say something about something they're like, I know that. I know that to be true. I know that to be a reality. But when we look at what we read there in Isaiah, God sees it all. He knows it all. And he will deal with it all. Nothing is going to be left undone. And every, every idle word, every thought is going to be brought into account. So his hand is not too short. His ear is not too dull. You know, on, on our part to save us, to, to hear our prayer and to answer on their part. Hmm. Again, his ear, he hears. We've said it before, haven't we? Can you imagine? I mean, we think about Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked from day to day. You imagine what God hears every single day, every moment of the day. Um, there is no end, you know, unto it. He will put an end to it, but you can imagine just the, the thoughts of men's hearts. That it's not, the things don't even come forth out of their mouth. There's the, the thoughts, it's, it's, it's Genesis, you know, 6 territory, isn't it? The, 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 the thoughts you know, on evil continually. You know, there was no end unto it. Um, they didn't, it's, it's, it's similar to what we're reading here. You know, they, they gave no thought to God. They were way closer to the garden than we you know, in their day, and the things that, that, that they knew and understood. I mean, I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter. I mean, people in our day, they, they, they know and understand. They see the creation all about us, and they, they, give, they don't want God in their thoughts. They want to suppress the truth. We're often in a position like David in verse number one to say, why are things the way that they are? Why does evil seem to prosper? Why does it seem to get the upper hand? Why are things not different? They will be. They will be. None of this has escaped God's notice. He's apprised of it all. He's not finished with this world yet 
It's not because he isn't able to put it all down now. Put an end to it all now. And we may not understand, but God knows. He is. He's merciful, isn't he? He's more patient than we would be, isn't he? you imagine if we knew some of the things that that are happening in the world today and we had the ability to do something about it? How long-suffering would we be? Or just squash it, you know, like a bug? Um, how patient would we be? God is very long-suffering. He's very patient. And every man that, that finds himself in hell is not going to have an excuse. I mean, how long-suffering, how patient was God, you know, with them? Well, in it all from verses 2 to 11, we begin to see the character of the wicked oppressor is what we begin to see. Those who don't walk by faith, but those who, they do. They walk by sight. I mean, if we walk by faith and not by sight, they walk by sight and not by faith. That's what we have here described. And such a sight is fearful and humbling because we can see what we would be apart from the grace of God. Except for the grace of God, there go I. Verse number two says, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Apart from God's grace, Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church. Right? Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. You, you, you got close to a verse of Scripture this morning, Brother J.T. in Leviticus 25 Verse 17, the Lord says, Ye shall not therefore oppress one another. We don't oppress one another. The world is going to oppress us. We do not oppress one another. Because thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. But Saul, you know, he was a persecutor, wasn't he? He was putting Christians in prison and to death in his pride, right? He wanted to be... Pharisee of the Pharisees. He wanted to have the chief position. It was all about pride. It was all about men's praise until God humbled him and saved him. You think about this word pride. What month is this? Month of June. You know, Cohen, whenever I was younger, that was a month traditionally that young men and women chose to get married it is no mistake that they chose that month they chose that month to call their own that they chose the word pride exactly it's an appropriate title for them or that they chose the rainbow exactly thoughts all thoughts that i had as i was looking at this yep Took a bite out of the apple. Yeah, he put it on his devices. Um, but you think about the rainbow. It's, it's a promise unto, un, 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 unto us that God's not going to destroy the world by water again. You know, next time it's going to be by fire. But they've, they've chosen a symbol that speaks about judgment, you know, uh, and justice. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's appropriate what they've taken upon themselves. You're right. 
the name they've chosen, pride, uh, the symbol they've chosen, the rainbow. Um, you, know, you can't make this stuff <laughs> you know, up. Uh, is, yes, right. And, it, and it's almost like he threw that little twist you know, in there just to, to, to shove it you know, in our faces, you know, so to speak. Yeah. So it's, it's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, the very name that they've taken is the very thing that God despises. And they flaunt it. Right. Well, again, we could go back and read Romans 1, couldn't we? I mean, I, I'm not saying that other times in the church haven't lived in Romans 1, but we're living in Romans 1. Uh, for sure, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. I mean, this is what they want. But it's judgment. They want more. Well, what's, what's the judgment here? More sin. They're just heaping it up more and more and more. Yes. No, they don't even think about it. And, and we see that in Psalm 10, you know, I think here. Uh, but God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up. That's something, isn't it? God gives a person up to themselves. God gives a person up to uncleanness. Like you're saying, brother, there's no thought anymore. You know, there's no thought anymore about the things of uh, judgment of God, um, the word of God. There's no, no thought anymore at all. Right. What's being described there? Yeah. Isn't that amazing to think about? You know, we, we think they've invented this and they're doing this now, but it's, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, is there. It was there, you know, all the way back in Deuteronomy. Um, it was already happening. And the nations around Israel, you know, were doing those things certainly. And God says, don't take their practices, you know, upon yourselves. Um, but as you get further down into Romans 1, you know, we, we see they're filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. That word maliciousness means intending to do harm. Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. That's depravity of heart and life. Whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud. You know, there's that word again, pride. There it is again. And then at the very you know, end in verse number 32, who's, it says, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Who would have ever thought that they would be in our public schools in elementary classes and in libraries promoting these things. Why? They have pleasure in them 
that do the same. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> Bruce says that's not possible. <laughs> oh, and and so they're going to check people's ID at the at the rope, you know, before they hit close enough. Yeah, no, I doubt it. Um, well, there's more than pride here, you know, and and there, there there is definitely within the psalm here. There's a desire on their part to oppress and to do harm. There's a desire on their part to oppress, to do harm, to persecute. They have abandoned, we see in the psalm here, they've abandoned humility, and they have embraced pride. They have rejected God. There is no room for God in them, in their lives. Their destruction is going to come upon them quickly, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They were going about their business. Uh, Just like the flood, they were going about their business. Uh, Destruction will come swiftly. It will come suddenly. It will come with a finality. Um, So whatever their design, whatever their plan, whatever the snare that they've thought to catch the humble end, the psalmist here prays that they themselves would be caught in it. So, I mean, it's not wrong for us to pray whenever they've laid a trap for us that they would be caught in their own trap. Um, And we mentioned it last week, didn't we? Who did we talk about last week in that regard? Remember Haman and Mordecai, right? I mean, the king, Esther's describing all this, and the king's like, who is this that would dare? And she says, it's Haman. You know, Haman's the one. And the king, if you remember the account, he goes out in the garden and he comes back and Haman is at Esther's bed begging for his life. And the king interprets that as him trying to force himself upon her. You know, and there's, there's, there's a, I, I, if I remember right, I think there was, there was something that was put over the top of his head and he was drug away. And he was hung upon the gallows that he had built for Mordecai, caught in his own trap, right? Who else did we mention last week in that regard? Daniel, didn't we? I think I briefly mentioned Daniel. Uh, and you remember that account, don't you? I mean, the king is, is, is sick because of what's happened to Daniel. He can't even sleep that night. Slept, you know, just, just departed from him. He goes down as, as soon as he can to check on Daniel. Daniel, has your God saved you? says, don't worry, king. I'm still here. He spared me. And so they pulled Daniel out, and they throw those other men that had brought accusation against Daniel in. And not just them, their wives and their children. And I don't know how big a hole it was that they were thrown into or how many lions were inside there, but the Scripture says they didn't even hit the ground before the lions tore them to pieces. Same lions that Daniel sat all night inside of that den with. So caught in their own snare, taken by their own devices. 
The third verse says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesses the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Remember we saw an earlier study in Psalms that he's angry with the wicked every day. I mean, the anger of God just abides upon them. His bow is bent. We saw that in an earlier study in Psalms. His bow is bent. His sword is drawn. It's just a matter of time. And yet they boast in the pride of their wickedness. And they bless the cup. They have pleasure in those that do the same. They bless the covetous. They don't bless the righteous. They bless the covetous. They love what God hates. You know, Mark 7 talks about what proceeds forth out of the heart of men. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. They're boasting, you know, in these things. That they've taken advantage of the poor. I, I remember hearing people saying, boy, that thing wasn't worth but this, and I sold it for that. You know, and I really got one over on them, and I took advantage of them. They boast you know, in, in wickedness. They boast in it. They knew what a fair you know, price would have been, but they inflated it you know, and to an exorbitant you know, degree so that they could take advantage and get, gain what they wanted, and then they go around boasting about it. Uh, and it's not just that. I mean, you know, they, 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 they do wicked and lewd things all weekend, you know, and they come into the office place on Monday, and they boast. And they ought to be ashamed, and they boast in those things. Fairness, honesty, not in their thoughts. Holiness, righteousness, not there. They press any and every advantage to get what they want. You think about, quote-unquote, successful people. That the world puts up on a pedestal. And look how successful. What'd they do to get there? And they boast about it. They boast in their wickedness and all sorts of evil they've done to obtain their heart's desire. Verse 4 says, David says that through the pride of his countenance, he will not seek after God. God's not in all of his thoughts. I mean, he doesn't need God. Who's going to seek after the Lord? Those who are needy. The humble are going to seek after the Lord. They're needy. The proud, they have no need of God. So the effect of pride is great. We see it here. It seeks a man from seeking after God. It keeps a man from seeking after God. God's not in all of his thoughts. There's that, if the light that is in you is darkness, right? How great is that darkness? Um, God's not in all of his thoughts. Be thankful if God's in your thoughts. Be thankful if you can sit down <clears throat> to eat a sandwich and be thankful for it. And thank God for it. Be thankful that God's in your thoughts. Be thankful if you seek to do all that you do to the glory of God. Whether you eat, drink, whatsoever you do. You know, Andrew and I sat at a lunch table with a couple of the guys this week. That didn't happen very often. I mean, usually everybody just kind of, you know, I've, I've got to go pick up materials or whatever, so I'm gone somewhere else, and he goes and gets what he wants, and they go get what they want, where everybody went to the same place. And, you know, I, I bowed my head. I mean, all the food was on the table. You know, I bowed my head and prayed. 
pray the Lord uses that to say something, you know, to them, to speak to them. It's not the only thing that I, I mean, I've tried to speak to them about the Lord, you know, but, but um, if God, you know, doesn't make those things real to them, they're going to abide in the darkness, you know, that, they, that they're in. But so be thankful if God is in your thoughts, because here's where you could be otherwise. These people that we're describing here, the proud man that cannot seek after God, who has every confidence in himself. Where's your confidence? Where's your trust? Where's your hope? Uh, is it in yourself? You know, is it in some other man? Is it in, as the scripture describes, you know, today we would use different descriptions, but horses and chariots and, you know, the number of the soldiers in your army, um, you know, or is it in the Lord? It says that his ways are always grievous. Can you imagine everything? You, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's, you, you can please the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. You can please the Lord. These people, their ways, their thoughts, their deeds, their speech, it says his ways are always grievous. They are grievous to God. Of course, God's ways are grievous to them too. But his ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. There's no fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is no fear of the Lord. All of thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. So there's nothing that he does that's not grievous in the sight of God. And God is not in all of his thoughts. What will he soon learn? We're talking about pride. What does pride go before? A fall. That's what he'll soon learn. Now he, he says here, as for all of his enemies, he puffeth at them. He's going to fall. And he's not going to recover. The righteous, they may fall, but they rise up again. You know, the Lord, the Lord lifts us up. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Isaiah 2.11 says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. What a day that's going to be. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought Low, so this sin of pride blinds a man. Mm-hmm. Become like God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And they've become gods unto themselves. You know, these, I mean, it wasn't, there's not a, a thread or, or, or a, a, some reality, you know, there, um, you know, in a sense. I mean, what Satan said unto them, uh, unto Eve, I mean, this happened unto these. They are a God unto themselves. They, they, they worship themselves. They worship what they want. Um, uh, there's no thought of God, you know, in, in, in them. Um, You know, this this accounting 
they're not they're not going to be in adversity there's there's nothing going to happen to them they're going to have all their hearts desire you know they're everything's going to go their way they're going to do it you know like frank sinatra's song i did it my way you know um the accounting of these people that have discounted god i mean the the sum of what their lives are going to be in the end is not what they've imagined not what they've imagined i mean ask the rich man in hell I mean, he's tormented in the flame. He's wanting just, he wouldn't give crumbs to Lazarus, but he's wanting Lazarus to come with just one drop of water. You know, I've said it to you before. I've, I've never wanted just one drop of water. I've never been that thirsty. Um, you know, we'll be out there on the farm working and, and, and um, sorry, Lydia, going through all the, my kids' names. I'm, I'm getting there, Mom, <clears throat> before I can get to hers. I didn't actually say them out loud. I started each one of them. But, um, but Lydia's good about bringing, you know, a bottle of water to you. Uh, she, didn't, she didn't come and say, Dad, you want a drop of water? <laughs> She's like, Dad, you want a bottle of water? <laughs> um, but there's the rich man in hell. God, I mean, the Lord pulls back the curtain, gives us a picture into that horrible place of torment. Um, he just wants a drop of water to cool his tongue from the torment of all the flames. Verse number seven says, their mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sits in the lurking places in the villages. He's just waiting to pounce on, you know, anybody he can take advantage of uh, so that he can get what he wants. Um, So, you know, David's really writing about an issue here that's timeless, isn't he? I mean, it's not just an issue that was in David's day. You know, there was this disease that broke out back there in the 1600s, but we've eradicated it. Uh, no, this is sin. And it, God's going to eradicate it, um, you know, but it's, it, is, it is still an issue of our day. It's, a, it, it's, it's an issue. What David's writing about here is timeless in its application uh, that we have before us. I was listening to Alistair Begg, and he said this. He said, do you want an explanation about what's going on in our world today as it continues to degenerate? He said, it's right here in this psalm. He said, man without God rejects humility. He embraces prosperity. Boy, isn't that something? Isn't that true? Doesn't that hit the nail right on the head? He embraces prosperity, not humility. He embraces prosperity, and we have a quote-unquote prosperity gospel, you know, that's being proclaimed, don't we? Um, And it's everywhere. I mean, it's not just here in our own country. It's it's all over the world. This prosperity gospel has gone forth. But he rejects humility, embraces prosperity. He misplaces security, and you can imagine what he's talking about there. I mean, if you have all these things, you, you take your rest and your ease. You know, kind of like the man that had the barns that wouldn't, he couldn't hold everything, so he tears them down and builds bigger ones. But he misplaces security, and he practices cruelty. And these people indeed are, that we see here in Psalm 10, practicing cruelty, uh, taking advantage of the poor that they might gain and themselves be rich. Um, but he says you don't have to be a genius to realize that God's word speaks with clarity on the issues of our time. Why? Because sin is still the problem. Sin is still the problem. So, you know, the sort of activity that 
they engage in is actually praised, you know, by the world. A person rises to power and prestige who has stepped upon and taken advantage of who knows how many along the way. And yet, like I said before, he receives praise of men for being successful. But what does God think? What does God think? He said in his heart, verse number 11, God hath forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see it. God's not going to pay attention to these little things that I'm, you know, when they're not little things, they're big things. The pride in of itself is an enormous thing, you know, uh, in the sight of God. Does God take notice of the prideful? Yes. Do we have examples in Scripture of God taking notice of the prideful? Yes, we do, don't we? In Daniel 4.30, the king spake and said, that is Nebuchadnezzar, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the power or the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Did God take notice that he walked out there on his porch or his balcony or wherever he was and he said that? I mean, it's like he's declaring this out loud, but it's in his heart. I mean, it's, it's not just words that are coming forth from his, from his mouth. I mean, this is what's in his heart and mind. Does God take notice? Absolutely. While the word, it says, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times, there's that number again, brother, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know what the most, or that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. It didn't have to be you that I gave it to, Nebuchadnezzar. I could have given it to your neighbor. You didn't obtain it yourself. I gave it to you. Um, you didn't gain these things by your might and power. I allowed you to be where you are. And I'm going to show you that I did. And he sends him out there to eat grass like an animal. Well, was God in Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts? Not while he's speaking there in the pride of his heart. He's not in his thoughts. Does God take notice? Yes, God takes notice. The cruel man seeks to comfort himself with the idea that God is blind to what he's doing. God's not blind to what he's doing. God's not forgetful either. I may have told you this before, but there were many times when I was a young person, a child, that my dad would say, when we get home, you're getting a whipping. Sometimes it was a long ways home. And I was thinking about it the whole time. And what my thoughts were was, I hope he forgets. <laughs> um, this, is, this is the wicked here. They're hoping that God doesn't notice, that God's going to forget. They foolishly doubt, you know, that, that God is omniscient. How could God forget how could something escape his knownness when he's omnipresent? Um, how would they think they could overthrow him when he's omnipotent? So the truth is that this world 
is one that is under divine judgment. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness, unrighteousness of men that hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that's, but you think about God seeing and God knowing, there's a little bit of a preservation there. You know, they don't have God in their thoughts. There's no preservation. Um, but here we are tempted, you know, maybe, and we're like, well, you know, this, God knows. I, I don't want any part of that. God knows. I'm, I'm not going to get away with that. I'm not going to be able to sin and get away with it. God knows. Uh, there's some preservation there. They have no preservation. There's just restraint. You know, there's evil that's in their heart, and there's things they would do, and they would go further, but God doesn't allow them to. It's still there. It's in their heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all born of that initial sin. Yeah. Isn't it incredible? And all the things there are all born from that one sin. Yeah. Verse number 12 says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Who does the Lord look unto? The humble. Those that are contrite spirit, right? Those are who he looks unto. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn or spurn or despise God? He hath said in his heart, thou wilt not require it. He's not going to require any type of, of penalty for this that I've done at my hand. But the 14th verse says, thou hast seen it. God's seen it. Thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. You don't get much poorer than that. You know, I got an email this morning, I think it was, and, and it was someone asking for donations for a ministry that, that uh, to, cha- to, to trade, the, the orphans be able to trade the garbage sack that they have to keep their belongings in for a suitcase. So they were wanting money to send suitcases, you know, to orphans that only had garbage, you know, bags for their belongings. Um, God knows those things, sees all those things. Verse 14 says, Thou hast seen it, you behold it. All the things that the wicked do. Matthew twelve thirty six says, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. You know, I, I remember when, even before we got married, I already had... We, we knew we were going to get married. As far as we knew, we knew we were going to get married. I, Teresa was on my checkbook. It's really a good thing because I always kind of operated my checking account in terms of, I think I've got about that much in it. <laughs> That's not the way she operates. There were days that she would be looking for one penny, and she would be looking for it for a long time. And I'm like, look, if I give you a penny... Can we stop this? No, there's something wrong. We've got to find out what it is, you know. So, I mean, the accounting there was down to the penny, right? When you think about God's accounting, it's going to be like that. Nothing is going to be missed. Nothing is going to be unaccounted for in that day. 
For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Um, That's not in their thoughts. That's not in their thoughts. Verse 15 says, Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. There's some of that accounting again. I mean, it's all the way until there's nothing left. Uh, Nothing that's gone unaccounted for. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. That kind of reminds me where we were last week in Psalm 9, verse 20. Put them in fear, O Lord. You remember what else it said? That they may know what? That they're just men. They may know themselves to be but men. So God's eye is clearly Um, beholding all these things. They may think that God's not paying attention, but God's eye is beholding all these things. And there is a divine consequence that will be uh, the ultimate judgment of the oppressed. Um, They're not anticipating it. They're not thinking about it. It's not in their thoughts. There's no fear there. Um, But the picture set before us is of the poor and humble being exploited, the poor and the humble being downtrodden by the proud and the rich and the powerful. These wicked men have put God out of their thoughts, we've seen. Not in their thoughts, but he's in ours. He's in the thoughts of the humble who cry unto him as ones who are being oppressed. So the true hope and sure confidence of the poor is in the Lord. Trust in Him. Go back to the beginning of the psalm. Lord, where are you? Trust in the Lord. That's where David ends here. Isaiah twenty nine fifteen. I didn't include this in the verses that I sent out. Um, Woe unto them that seek deep. It's interesting words, right? That seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. I mean, they're, they're, they're thinking that they can do, you know, people used to do things in the dark, right? Thinking that that can't be seen, that God's not going to notice that maybe. It's done in the daylight today, but, but they seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he hath no understanding? You know, we see that in the New Testament too, don't we? It's you know, coming here from Isaiah 29, but it's words that are being spoken in a sense in Psalm 10. It's what they're saying. Well, Galatians 6, 7 has an answer. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. They think there's not going to be a harvest. There's going to be a harvest. Revelation 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. The Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord omnipotent reigneth. He is king. He is judge. He is going to set all things right. Trust in him. Wait upon him. Of uh, Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. Revelation 20, 14 and 15. Let's see. No, I, I just had those two verses. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. <clears throat> Not a pretty picture if you're the wicked. Um, so, well, there's David's plight and David's complaint. And, mm-hmm, two books there. And it's not unlike our plight and our complaint that we ourselves face, you know, at times at the hand of wicked men. Uh, David's prayer, Lord, let their snare, let them be taken in it themselves. Um, and they, they've sought to do evil unto me. Let that evil be turned upon their own heads. Um, but in the end, the Lord is king forever and ever. He will reign. And nothing escapes his notice. And every man will give an account for everything that has been done, everything that's been said, everything that's been thought, uh, every deed, uh, every idle word, you know, we read about already. So... Look unto him. Whatever it is that we're going through, he's able to deliver thee. And I don't, I don't know if we still have that hymn anymore. I'm not wanting to sing it, but you know, we used to sing a hymn called He's Able to Deliver Thee. Though by sin oppressed, go to him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee. Well, let's stand and, and um, I don't know what, do you know what number that is, Lydia, that you're going to play for us?